If you'd like to turn in your pew Bibles to 1,680, this sermon comes in the second part of a series on unity we talked about, and you didn't get to hear the sermon on Psalm 133, where it says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. But unity doesn't mean we always necessarily agree. Unity unity means that we don't always have the same opinion, and that's okay. But God's gift of unity in Jesus means that we all have more in common together than what divides us. And so this evening, we're going to look at unity from Jesus' perspective in John 17, 20-26. Jesus prays for all the believers. My prayer is not for them, the disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. I say the word of the Lord. Do you say thanks be to God? The word of the Lord. You know, one of my regrets in life, you know, we all have regrets. One of my regrets in life, things that I wanted to do, is that when I did my internship out in Massachusetts, just out of seminary, I didn't, I didn't visit the island of Nantucket. What a fun word to say, Nantucket. So I didn't have a chance to visit the island. And it's a small island off of Cape Cod that is surrounded not only by the sea on all sides, but by stories as well, tons of stories. Apparently the weather can be absolutely terrible um, around the island, and so I was kind of doing some research on this. And on the Nantucket's Maritime Museum's website, it says this. It says, in the 19th century, hundreds of ships passed by Nantucket Island, cruising around the island without nautical technology at all. No technology. Unpredictable storms, dense fog, and strong currents often caught the most experienced sailors off guard in these treacherous shoals and inclement weather led to over 700 shipwrecks in the surrounding waters of Nantucket, causing the area to be dubbed, right, a graveyard of the Atlantic. 
So many people lost their lives in the, in just within a mile of shore, just even within, like close to shore. So many people lost their lives within a mile or so that all sorts of people started to build these huts all over the island, these mini lighthouses where they would man them and volunteer to man them all along the coast. So, you know, all these volunteers would be stationed around the island and word would get out about a sinking ship or someone stranded and word would get out and these people would do whatever it would take to save their lives, right? They prized human life. They did. They cared tremendously and they called themselves, does anyone know? The Humane Society, right? And it's, I, it's the same name, but now it's more animal focused today. The Humane Society. Now, eventually the Coast Guard took over, but back in the day, this was their motto, right? You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. That was their motto. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. In the life-saving business, your self-preservation becomes second. So in our text, right, Jesus clearly knows he's in the life-saving business. But just prior to our text, prior to John 17, we have to know what's going on, right? So the Last Supper just happened, and after the Last Supper, Jesus starts to teach his disciples. He starts to comfort his disciples. He prays that the disciples can receive the Holy Spirit. And then now all this teaching is coming up to this prayer in John 17, right? Jesus prays for all these things. So first, Jesus prays for himself. He wants to be, he's praying that he can be glorified, that someday Jesus can go back to his Father in heaven the way it was before the world began and be in that glory, that state with his Father. So he prays for his glorification. And then second, he prays for the disciples. And he prays for the disciples' joy. And he also prays for their protection against Satan. And I thought about that, I'm like, man, Joy and protection from Satan? I could use that every day. How about you? Amen? Yeah, joy and protection from Satan every single day. Jesus prays for the disciples. And now third, this is beautiful, Jesus prays, notice in our text, for us. Jesus prays for us. In verse 20, Jesus prays for all those who will believe the message of the gospel. This is for all future believers. So literally over 2,000 years ago, Jesus is praying for you and me right now here this evening. Isn't that beautiful? That's mind-blowing to me. That's crazy that God knew that, oh my goodness, I'm going to pray for all these people at Prosper CRC tonight with, with me. Oh my, it's fantastic. And all future believers someday. Right? This blows my mind. How could Jesus not be distracted right now in John 17? How could Jesus not think about himself? Because here's why. The cross is looming before Jesus. He's preparing to die. Right? He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows Peter is going to betray him. He knows the disciples are going to leave and scatter and go back to their homes. He knows that he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to be alone and face excruciating pain. Just the word excruciating has the word crucify in it. Excruciating pain. And so Jesus, in our text, he carefully and thoughtfully takes a moment to pray for all the future believers in the world someday. Wow! 
What a Savior, right? Including you and me. This has to be considerate grace at miraculous levels. Jesus' calm amidst the storm was sort of drilled into me at the doctor's office this week in a very small way. Okay, hang with me. This calm amidst the storm. So my girls got a flu shot this past week. All three of them had to get a flu shot at the same time. Right, and they started talking about it. It started swirling around, all my girls, seven, five, and two. Like, oh boy, here we go, it's flu shot time. It started to sway, it dominated their minds and emotions. It's all they could do was to not talk about it. They talked about the pain, they talked about the fear, they talked about pass shots and needles, they talked about the size of the needles. They're gonna be huge, Dad, right? In response to this barrage of questions, what a shot is gonna feel like, I even had to learn to playfully sort of pinch the back of their arms, like, here, it's like that a little bit. You know, I just playfully pinch the back of their arms, like, ooh, 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 just to sort of like, hey, There's a pain comparison going on here. Pain comparison. Jesus didn't need to do that, right? Jesus didn't do that. Besides all this controversy and chaos around Jesus by people wanting to hunt down and kill him, by people chasing Jesus, by the chaos of the the cross and all that stuff facing Jesus, Jesus is calm Amidst the storm, and Jesus prays. Jesus prays. Jesus' selflessness and character and his compassion shine through. Nothing can distract Jesus from praying for you and me. Nothing can distract Jesus from loving you and me. And now Jesus prays and he invites us into intimacy with God himself. Notice in our text, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prays, may they be one. Verse 22, may they be one as we are one. Oneness, unity with God the Father and Jesus can witness to the world that John 3, 16 is true for all people in all times and all places. This is beautiful. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. In verse 24, it says, even before the creation of the world, this revelation, this God revealing himself, this God sharing his plan, this revelation of unity began when God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Life. It's beautiful. So it's not only Jesus, but it seems God, his Father, is also in the life-saving business, right? So Jesus says, boy, I better, I'm going to take over this family business. If God's in the life-saving business, maybe I will too. It's beautiful. Jesus is sort of a chip off the old block to God the Father. Can I get an amen? All right. Keeping you awake out there. Good. Jesus knows that the gospel message is going to explode into the world. And this is going to create all types of different Christians with different cultures and different personalities and different backgrounds. But the standard for unity in our text, it's it's not institutional. It's not corporate. It's not structure. It's not that stuff. 
right? It is not about believing the right things. So if I just believe the right things and then I, and then I get to heaven someday and then I open the cash register of, of eternity and go, cha-ching, hey, I believe the right things and now I'm accepted into heaven. It's not about that. It's not corporate. Paul emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians 13. We know it. Paul says, if I can understand all the knowledge and mysteries of the world, including what Christians believe, the right things, but have not love, then my life of living out the gospel becomes a religious, hollow gong, right? A gong. Reggie Campbell he encourages Andy Stanley once in a while, and I was reading a devotional book. That's by Reggie Campbell. He's, Reggie Campbell says, every day I run into someone whose, whose story has the same plot. Here's the story. Born, to a, born into a church-going family, baptized as a kid, hammered with rules and rituals, and then walked away and wound up with a messed-up marriage, family, head, or heart. Religion-vaccinated Reggie from connecting with God. It turned him off. Well, why? Why? Because it wasn't a loving relationship with a personal Jesus. Right? Verse 23 says, Jesus says this, he prays, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought together in complete unity. I in them and you in me. Jesus' prayer is an intentionally chosen invitation for loving intimacy with his Father. Jesus knows God. God knows Jesus. And Jesus wants to invite us into that. Jesus prays for relationship, not hollow gong religion. Jesus prays because he wants to invite every gospel message hearer into his family. And it's a tight family. The Holy Trinity is one tight family. It's close-knit. It's not abstract, right? It's not a book. It's not a set of principles. It is, it is a heart-to-heart, raw, vulnerable, honest closeness that only a family relationship can have. So you try to talk about that. What's, what's it like to have that honest, raw closeness? You know, in, in our world outside of heaven, marriage may be a close but imperfect analogy, right? And we know this because our spouses, for some of us that are married, our spouses are the only ones that can really speak truth sometimes into our lives and we're okay with it, right? It's hard to hear sometimes from other people, but, but your spouse, because of that intimate relationship. So, yeah, your spouse can, can say those tough things like, like, you're not being present with your girls, Greg, right now. You're, you're not being present with your girls. You're thinking about church stuff and you're thinking about other stuff, right? She speaks truth. She's honest. Yeah, you're right, right? Your spouse can only say those tough things. But sometimes those things aren't necessarily tough things. Sometimes they're a bit more silly. So say like, Greg, Greg, 
Your eyebrows are getting way too long right now for the, the sake of, you know, people working out. And by the way, there's, there's ear, sorry, there's hair growing out of your ears, right? You might want to cut that too. And you're like, that's okay. She can tell me that, right? It's honest. It's raw. It's real. And I'm, I'm going to do it. Amy said not to shoot, but I, I, when she says, hey, you know, my, the cheap Dutchman, and he says, yeah, I'm going to cut that ear hair because then otherwise I've got to buy more shampoo and conditioner, right? So, <laughs> silly, I know. But that's what I thought. Jesus, Jesus wants in our text. Jesus wants, Jesus prays for this heart-to-heart relationship between us himself and God. It's a relationship that says you have to go out but you don't have to come back, right? It's a relationship that is 100% investment. We are all in. We are committed to be followers of Jesus. And once you start, you'll never stop and you're going to be hooked. You will start to love like Jesus. Now, even though the Coast Guard eventually took over the Humane Society, right? They had all the technology and the choppers and it was safer to do it the Coast Guard's way. Even though the Coast Guard took over for the Humane Society and all these less and less volunteers manned the huts around the island and things like that, this Humane Society couldn't stop meeting together. They loved to get together, right? Their love of human life drove them together to save lives. But even though someone else sort of took over for them, they still enjoyed each other's company too much to disband. So they kept meeting together. And I believe they still practice this sacrificial love and unity today. You and I now, think about it. We are in the life-saving business. Now, of course, we know that only Jesus saves, right? Jesus is the one that saves. But we can participate sometimes in what Jesus is doing in people's lives and the Holy Spirit is doing. And we can participate through lifelines of love. You ever seen this? Like, you know, people, you, can you picture a lifeline? I have one. I use this when I'm, when I'm rafting and I'm guiding and stuff, and, and somebody's an anchor. So here, Pastor Dirk, you're going to have to help me. Remember we talked about this? Come on up. I need you all to imagine for a second that Pastor Dirk is Jesus, okay? I know it's a stretch. It's a big stretch. Okay? So this is a lifeline. We know that Jesus saves, but there's always lifelines that go out. I want to make sure I have this right. You and I are in the life-saving business. Now notice it says in verse 26 that Jesus prays that God's love for him is also in us. And if God's love saves, like, saves lives through Jesus, and it does, our love must also connect people with Jesus. So I want you to think of yourself now as, as a lifeline. So... This is connected to Jesus. You are a lifeline. And you can go out into the world. Right? You can go out into the world. And you are connecting with all sorts of people. This this is words. This is actions. This is love. This is service. This is everything that you can do. And any time that we help, who does it connect back to? Pastor Dirk. Jesus, right? <laughs> it connects back to Jesus. Do you want to stay up here the rest of the sermon, or are you good? I have a minute. You can have a minute. Okay. <laughs> so 
So we're going to put this right up here towards the cross. I still got more rope. Perfect. So that's where that lifeline goes, right? All the way up to the cross. You and I are in the life-saving business. And like Jesus, before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1, you and I were made for the life-saving business. We were built for this. We were built to love. One colleague of mine says it much better than I. He says this. He says, we don't always see it because we can be blinded by our self-preoccupation. But people around us have many shipwrecks every day. A friend gets chewed out by their boss. A child fails in school. A wife fights with her husband and gets a little more disappointed in her marriage. A coworker makes foolish financial choices. A high school girl doesn't get asked to prom. And somebody at church gets hurt. And maybe somebody in our, that we love and care for in our church passes away and dies. Granted, we are not the Coast Guard, right? Or the Life-Saving Humane Society. And we are definitely not Jesus. But we do have the ability to offer a lifeline for those who are drowning. We have the ability to offer a lifeline for those who are drowning. We have loving words that can push people closer to Jesus. The words that come out of our mouth can help people to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have the ability just to listen, not to even speak. And that can help somebody to be saved by Jesus. We have the ability to energize people, to tread water longer, to hang in there so that the Holy Spirit and Jesus can work in their lives and grab a hold of them. We have this ability to offer love and hope and acceptance or, or we can judge and shame and beat them down. We have those options, right? We can do it. In our text, I want you to hear this, that God's love is for us. Not just gifts, but it's for us, that God's love is working for our benefit, right? God's love is just powerfully working for us. So Jesus not only invites us into his family, but the text says in verse 26, Jesus is also in us. And unity with Jesus means he accepts our wounds and our brokenness and our shipwrecked hearts, our broken proms, our broken promises, all those things, and he takes them to the cross. Takes them to the cross. And Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew 5, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've got you. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Unity with Jesus means we have accepted Jesus' invitation and lifeline to become a part of his family. And if we understand this oneness, if we understand this unity, right? Unity with Jesus means that now we have the power 
to accept others who are shipwrecked and sinking. We all know people who are shipwrecked and sinking. We know this. In unity means we embrace the differences, right, with love because Jesus does. Man, I know if Jesus can accept me, he can accept anybody. Right? We embrace the differences with love. Unity does not avoid the pain of the cross. Unity does not avoid people who are difficult or smell funny or have too much hair growing out of their ears. Okay? Unity doesn't avoid those types of people. Right? We don't avoid people who are shipwrecked or wounded. You and I have the, if you will, in. What a powerful preposition here. You and I have the in. We are in. We also have the incarnational power to view people as worthy of being accepted, of being saved. And every person, and this is the title of the sermon, every person deserves a prayerful invitation. Especially from Jesus. Every person deserves a lifeline, right? Every person deserves a lifeline. And it's up to the Holy Spirit and that shipwrecked heart to figure it out. Jesus saves, we don't. Every person is worth, every person is worth and valid. Every person that we encounter in the world is worth a heart to heart, relationship, unity with the Holy Trinity. And like Jesus, they too deserve someone to live by the motto. Someone in their life, like you, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Now, each of us knows someone, do we not? Here's the question. Each of us knows someone in our lives that God has used to push us and to challenge us and to train us and to encourage us or just to listen to us where we can feel love, and feel the acceptance that only God can give. Right? Without God using them, we wouldn't have that personal loving relationship. And literally, they become life savers. Only Jesus can save, right? But God uses them. We, they become life savers for us. Literally. Unity in Christ keeps us going out into the world, and every person, no matter how shipwrecked, deserves a life saver in their life. And so I, I know it's a little cheesy, but I've got lifesavers. And I want us to have one. So we're going to have the best breath. It's Misaki County, right? We're going to have the best breath of any church in Misaki County. So go ahead, take one here. I'm taking a handful of these. Why don't you pass it around? Pass them around. Everybody gets a low. You get a bunch. Okay. Oh. There's five. Perfect. Four here. You guys need a bunch in this room. I'm going to get more. Okay. Oh, perfect timing. Everybody gets a lifesaver. Oh, I dropped it on. Right, something tangible, something concrete. A lifesaver looks like a throw ring, does it not? Oh, we need them in the back. Yes, way in the back. 
Mr. Boss, did you get one? You need one. Take two, man. You're working hard back there. I have extra if anybody wants another one. Every person in their lives, no matter how shipwrecked, deserves a life saver. Thank you, sir. You want extra for all that hard work? You're good? Everyone deserves a life saver in their life. Somebody who loves us unconditionally and recklessly and passionately and who's willing to go out into the storm and put their emotional lives on the line for us, for others. And I think our words, our service, our words and our service. I'm going to say this again. Our words and our service can literally help Jesus save lives. You know, God has always had a plan for unity in the world. God and Jesus actually started the first life-saving society, the first humane society, for shipwrecked hearts and broken-down folk who are drowning in sin. And because Jesus invites us into that family, and then Jesus prays for us, and then Jesus redeems us, and then he invites us to sit down at the heavenly banquet table, we would be joyfully wise to take on the family business as well, now that we are in God's family. Now that we are one. So here's my challenge for, for you and for me. If you don't view yourself as someone who can offer a lifeline with your words or your actions or your service, your relationship with Jesus needs a little more unity. You need a little more unity. You do. So maybe you need that lifeline right now. Maybe Maybe you are not trusting how God can use you in someone else's life. Maybe your prayer life right now is pretty broken or stunted. You know what? I don't, I don't pray as much. Maybe you are too busy to read God's word. Maybe you're afraid to love right now, to love because you've gotten hurt in the past. Maybe it's easier to be religious than unified in love. Jesus prayed that we all would be one as he is one with his Father. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's participate in God's redemptive business. Let's do this and save lives with Jesus through love. Just through love. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for reminding us that we need to not only be unified like you, Jesus, but to be unified in the love that you have with God the Father. And that love can be a witness to the world. Lord, help us to offer lifelines to people, people that are hurting. Help, help us to point them back to Jesus and help us to trust that you, Holy Spirit, and you, Jesus, are working together to save people's lives all around us. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer. We need thee every hour. And as we sing in a moment, please let us offer that worship up to you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, will you please stand? I'll give the, the benediction and let's sing together. 
I Need Thee Every Hour from number 428 in the hymns for worship, number 428. Receive God's parting blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Let's sing together. All the verses.